Welcome to Let's Get Political, a podcast dedicated to providing you with all the information you need to know to make informed decisions without the media spin. I'm your host, Benjamin Copeland, and with me is my co-host, Jessica Hargis. In this episode, we look at the confusing world of healthcare. And we are delighted to have on the show Dr. John McCracken, a clinical professor of healthcare management at the University of Texas at Dallas Jindal School of Management. He is one of the foremost experts on healthcare management in the state of Texas. We hope you enjoy this fascinating discussion on healthcare policy and the uncertain future of healthcare in America. Patient Protection Affordable Care Act is now in its 11th year. It was passed in 2010, right? I think it was passed yes. in 2010. Yes, and it went into effect, what, 2014? But one of the things yeah. it was supposed to do was cut all the administrative costs. It was supposed right. to make it more transparent, but I still have no idea where I'm supposed to look. I have no idea how to find out what things cost. Yeah. You know, if somebody gets sick, you just try and take care of your kids. You don't even realize you should shop for it first. Like my twins had ear- tubes in their ear and we went to the Frisco Center and it cost whatever it cost. It was a few thousand dollars. And then the tubes worked for one kid. And then the second kid still has this, like, I don't know, stuff behind his ear. And so they told me we need to have the tubes put in again. And so I talked to her, I was like, well, that was like super expensive. And then she told me that um, it costs different depending on which facility I go to and that she would look into which facility was cheaper. And I was like, wait a second, they're, you mean they're not, the procedure isn't the same? And she's like, well, our costs are the same, but the, the cost at the facility is different. So we were at Frisco last time, Frisco Baylor, and now she's telling us to go to Plano Medical Center and it is a few thousand dollars cheaper. That's to crazy. Get the ear tubes. Yes. How would people know that? How would like just regular people like you and me even know that? I, I have no idea. And I was so upset. And she said that there is a list or something that she can look at for the cost, but it's not something that most of us would even look into because, you know, we have insurance or we think right. our insurance is doing us a, a service by telling us where to go. But she, it had to be the, um, wasn't the ENT, it was his assistant who was like trying to help me figure out which facility would be cheaper. And then she said there was like some list, what's it called? Um, like transparency list or something. Yeah. She looked through it and told me which one would be the cheapest. $2,000 cheaper, like yeah. not 50 bucks. That's that's real money. Confusing as yeah. all get out. Well, I pulled up, I pulled up some statistics on healthcare, um, actually polling. I love polls. Polls are like my favorite. I love them. <laughs> Uh, but people. I went with I went with Gallup, and I just kind of wanted to see what kind of you know what do the American people feel about healthcare, and so I pulled some of these uh, statistics. Fifty-two percent of Americans worry greatly about healthcare. Fifty-two percent. That's you know half of us worry greatly about it. Fifty-six um, percent believe it's the responsibility of the federal government to make sure that all Americans have healthcare coverage. What was that percentage? 56%. Okay, that's Believe a lot that. higher than I thought. Yeah, that's a lot higher than I thought. But this is how fickle the American people are. But 55% prefer a private insurance system. So 56% want the federal government to do something about it, right. but they want it to be per- private. Mostly private, yeah, insurance. <laughs> So, and 69% of Americans believe they are dissatisfied with the total cost of healthcare, which we just talked about that. We were talking about the cost of healthcare. Very unhappy. I guess we are in that 69%. So last statistic here, 66% say that healthcare costs have gone up since the Affordable Care Act went into effect. They feel like or they've they've said that their healthcare costs have gone up. That's interesting. Wasn't the Affordable Care Act supposed to help us with that? That's that's what it was billed to do, right? So well, at least cut the waste, right? I mean, right. the fact that what eighty percent of your bill was administrative costs was supposed to flip to no more than twenty percent of the bill, um, and that you're supposed to be able to negotiate. Well, and that's right. We were supposed to be able to negotiate stuff. I didn't negotiate. 
Well, we should talk to somebody about this. Somebody who's got like some expertise, don't you think? I mean, yes, I don't have any expertise in the healthcare uh, system. I'm fascinated with it. Um, I do know that my wife, who is a doctor, knows a lot of people in the healthcare industry. So she recommended that we talk to Dr. John McCracken, who is an economist at uh, University of Texas, Dallas, and one of the premier healthcare experts in the state. Although he would say, he would say nobody is an expert. It's so complex. Yeah, but I've heard about him. Doesn't he do, he does leadership in the field as well. Like he doesn't just teach healthcare. He teaches leadership in healthcare. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Trying to help doctors uh, navigate all of the complexities of the health insurance industry and healthcare. So I I think he would be a great person to talk to. Yeah, so. let's bring him in before I have surgery on my kid. Maybe he can buy me $2,000 more, I could say. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. <laughs> We're here with John McCracken. He is a, the director of the Alliance for Physician Leadership at the University of Texas at Dallas. Thanks so much for coming, Dr. McCracken. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us about something that's really important in politics today, and that's health care. And you are a healthcare expert. Thanks a lot for coming. My pleasure. Thank you. Maybe a little over the top to call me an expert. I don't think anybody <laughs> really understands this healthcare market. <laughs> well, that's that's why we're doing the podcast so that we can I try to that. understand a little bit better <laughs> about it. So we were talking a little bit uh, before we started recording about some of the uh, opinion polling on healthcare, what the American people think. Mm-hmm. about healthcare, one of the things is that they're very concerned about cost and the cost of healthcare, which has always been a major problem, I think, uh, with, with healthcare. And also some of this talk about a public option, a, you know, we heard in the last presidential um, campaign about Medicare for all. Um, we really wanna get into that, talk about that a little bit, but let's start at the beginning. Um, Dr. McCracken, can you tell us about what is this idea of price transparency, especially when it comes to cost? What is that? Well, let me let me back up a little and kind of give you some perspective on sure. what the market is and what's causing this. Uh, the first thing to understand is is healthcare spending in this country is bigger than the gross domestic product of all but two other countries of the world. You know, this year. Spending on healthcare will be larger than the entire gross domestic product of Germany. So only China and Japan have a national economy bigger than U.S. healthcare spending. So wow. it's a huge market. The second fact is that most observers, knowledgeable observers, will say 20 to 30 percent of that's waste, huge amount of waste. Um, the third thing you'll notice is that healthcare prices for the last 40 years have grown significantly faster than the economy. Um, 40 years ago, healthcare was about 9% of the total economy back in 1980. Today, it's about 18%. Wow. Um, the, the fact is, for the last five years, healthcare prices have grown about 18%, uh, about three times the rate of growth of the economy. And um, healthcare utilization has only grown about 3.5%. So there's clearly a, a huge market with a lot of waste and in which prices are growing very rapidly. And that's what's causing the, the, all of the, the turmoil in, in healthcare right now. So one of the fixes is price transparency? Well, one of the observations is that healthcare pricing is really chaos behind a veil of secrecy. For years and years, when hospitals, for example, which represents about 30% of healthcare spending, negotiated prices with a managed care organization, those contracts were subject to a gag clause where neither party could reveal what the actual pricing was. There was also what we call most favored nation clauses, which prevent a healthcare organization from giving any other managed care payer a lower price. The fact of the matter is that's led to enormous dislocation in hospital pricing. Hospital pricing even in this Dallas-Fort Worth market, can vary by a factor of three or four to one. In other words, for example, you can get an MRI 
a, a local uh, emergency department that'll cost you about $4,500. You can go right down the street to uh, a retail MRI, which gives you just as good a read and just as, just as good a, a physician reading it uh, for about $500. So you'll find huge differentials in pricing. And employers who cover about 157 million people in this country, that's about half the population, have no idea what the prices are that they're paying. You know, healthcare costs of the Fortune 500 is bigger than their total profits. So at some point, uh, employers have begun to waken up to the fact that um, they need to understand what prices they're paying to the different providers. So that's been the push for healthcare uh, hospital price transparency, to make it publicly available. It began with the Affordable Care Act back in 2010. That was uh, the federal government had a had a uh, uh, part of the act was that hospitals had to reveal their prices. So they they posted what we call the Charge Master. Uh, the Baylor University Charge Master is a list of 22,000 separate items, and it's impossible to understand what they are. It's just a huge list of 22,000 things that Baylor will supply you. Everything from a box of Kleenex to a surgery with a price attached, but nobody of course pays that price. So for the last 10 years, hospitals have posted their charge masters, but it's very, it's, it's useless for determining what the true price or cost is gonna be of a hospital stay. So in 2019, uh, the administration, Health and Human Services decided that they had the right to go ahead and require hospitals to post their actual negotiated prices. So they passed a final rule over the objections, the strenuous objections of the American Hospital Association, that hospitals had to post their payer-specific negotiated prices for 300 separate items, 300 separate what they call shoppable items. Actually make it online in a, in a user-friendly format. So you could actually see what, for example, Baylor had this, any particular hospital had negotiated with United or had you negotiated with Blue Cross Blue Shield or had negotiated with Aetna or whoever. The final rule became actually finalized in November 2019 and was effective of January of this year. But it's been a real struggle. Now, of course, the American Hospital Association fought it in court for quite a while and lost. I, and, I heard that only 6% of hospitals actually complied. Is that, is that uh, right? It's, that's a little actually on the high side. Okay. Probably about 95% non-compliance. They, they are, are complying to parts and, and bits of it. The most important part, posting their, their payer-identified negotiated prices. I mean, that's the thing that really matters. Um, only about 15 to 20% are actually doing that. Right. So not, not many. Not so, many. So let, me, so let me get this right. So it's better for, it's better for the consumer, me, if I can go online and look up what is the price going to be, say I need an appendectomy. What's the price going to be if I go to Baylor? Of course, if I'm getting an appendectomy, I probably am not shopping around just yet. But if I go to Baylor and I say, you know, one of the Baylor hospitals and it says it's going to cost me X amount of dollars. Mm -hmm. And then I go over to uh, another hospital, THR hospital, and it says it's going to cost me Y amount of dollars then theoretically I can go to the one that gives me the cheapest cost and go there. Actually, that won't happen. That won't happen, why not? No, the, the purpose, the objective of, high, of hospital price transparency is not for the benefit of the patient, mm -hmm. it's for the benefit of the payer, okay. the employer. The employer wants to negotiate, if, if, if an employer is, has got a, a managed care plan for, on the, for the benefit of his employees, that has much higher pricing, hospital pricing, than that employer competitor across the street, he wants to know about it. The idea is for employers to be able to negotiate favorable pricing on behalf of their employees. As I said, employers cover 157 million Americans. It's half the, half the nation. And the other, another 30%, of course, is Medicare and Medicaid. It's, it's, it's really for the benefit of employers. You see, on any major procedure, the total cost is going to be greater than your deductible. Right. But the fact of the matter is, it makes no difference to you if something costs $50,000 or $40,000. Mm -hmm. 
All you're going to pay is your deductible, and you're going to hit your deductible in either case. It's important to note that about 5% of the population spends half of the health care money, half of the spending, 5%. Those are the ones that have severe chronic disease. Half the population, 50% of the population, spends less than 3% of the money. They're the folks that are healthy. Right. So the ones that spend the money all go over their deductible. So they're not going to price shop. Once again, it's for the benefit of the payer. So it's so, a red herring to say so that. Then how does the but how does the payer like how does a, you know uh, a a corporation are they then shopping different plans who hopefully will have lower uh, costs because they're competing with other plans because all of the pricing is now transparent. Well, that's that that's hopefully uh, here in the Dallas Fort Worth market. There's about eight hundred thousand people covered by employer sponsored insurance. That's a big slug. Of, that's that's a pretty good sized population. So the question is, have employers in the past shopped for the best available hospital pricing? Well, the answer is obviously no, no. because they had no idea what it was. Now, the idea here is that they will indeed, once prices become transparent, that is, once they're publicly available they will be able to put pressure on the on the organization with whom they contract and look for the most favorable pricing. For example, United and, and Blue Cross Blue Shield control you know, roughly 50-55% of the market here in this metropolitan area. And either one of those organizations will have multiple employer contracts and those contracts will all have different hospital pricing. In. Well, if you're an employer, you have a Blue Cross Blue Shield plan, you want to know how your pricing stacks up against other employers that have a Blue Cross Blue Shield plan, because it'll be different. Well, you want to know what the prices are. If you want to buy a washing machine, you'll go to Blows, you go to Home Depot and take a look at the same model and try to buy the least expensive one. Well, that's exactly the theory that behind the hospital price transparency. Now, the fact is, as we pointed out, hospitals have been very slow to to reveal their pricing. So you can't really take you really can't take advantage of that now. Uh, one of the problems is that the penalties for failure to post prices were very low. It's only three hundred dollars a day. <laughs> that's nothing. That's nothing. So what, what CMS has done is they proposed a new deal. They've said, what we're gonna do is for, essentially we're gonna make it $10 per bed per day to a maximum of $5,500, which for a large hospital would drive the fine to over $2 million per year. Now, there's obviously you can see there's a lot of resistance to that. Hospitals so far have said, you know, it's worth it for us just to pay the fine mm -hmm. rather than make our prices publicly available. They say the competitive disadvantage of that um, is, is worth the $300 a day. Well, is it worth $5,500 a day? Is it worth $2 million per year? Eh, different calculation there. Right. What's something that government should be doing in order to helping this? It's a good question. I think what the government should do is, is try to enforce the rule, the rule as, as currently written. Now, it needs some tweaking. It needs some adjustment. It, you know, you, you need to make better account of risk differences. For example, uh, one hospital might charge a higher price for the same service because they have a different risk profile, what's called a risk score, okay? So you can make adjustments for that. But they need to actually enforce price transparency. It's up to the market to take advantage of that information. If employers don't take advantage of that information, if they continue doing business as they always have, then price transparency will have little to no effect. Right. But hopefully businesses, you know, they're they're usually pretty smart because they want to you know, that the bottom line is so important to them. So hopefully they'll, they'll well, start looking at this in order to be more profitable. I'll say something to which many of your audience may disagree, but, but um, historically insurance benefits are managed by the benefits department under human resources. Right. And they're not exactly financially driven. 
<laughs> they're, or savvy. <laughs> they're, or savvy. Their, their objective is to keep employees happy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right. You're starting to see the employer uh, health insurance moved over under the chief financial officer's mantle. Now, that's when, that's when it becomes a consideration. But as I said, right now, in many organizations, very, even Fortune 500 organizations, the health insurance benefits, the health insurance plan is managed by people that are not particularly interested in pricing. They're interested in employee satisfaction. Well, I work for a Fortune 500 company, and um, I can say that we didn't have anyone educated in healthcare or in finance doing the HR um, negotiating with insurance. What I thought was interesting is that um, the plans, they were they, they changed the coverage based on how much it was costing without any regard. I don't know about the, the, the happiness of the employees so much. They didn't care too much about what made them happy as long as it satisfied basic needs. So once you got into more expensive treatments and whatnot, they didn't care about those at all. And then once they were able to, they started charging more for people who smoked and other things so that they could recoup some of their costs for long-term effects. I think after the Affordable Care Act, they blamed a lot on the Affordable Care Act for um, making us take all kinds of different tests and whatnot. If we didn't complete those tests, if we didn't do certain things, then we got to pay more. I thought that was interesting. And there's talk now because of the vaccine. If you don't take the vaccine, should a company charge you more for your insurance versus those in the company that take the vaccine? Yeah, that's whistling past the graveyard. It's the big <laughs> stuff that matters. Yeah. That and, and I think that when you've got people at the lowest level who aren't really interested in any of that stuff or knowledgeable of any of that stuff, that's all they're caring about. Well, that's why it's going to be up to the employer to negotiate the most favorable pricing they can. What this will lead to is something we call reference pricing. That started a few years ago in California by the by CalPERS, which is the Public Employees Pension Plan. What they did for certain very high cost procedures is they looked around to see what the different organizations or different hospitals charged. Let's say for open heart surgery, let's take that as an example. So they got comparative prices and they looked at the quality of outcomes and they made a quality ad uh, adjustment that said a reference price for this particular procedure is, say, $40,000. That's what a hospital, reasonably high-quality hospital, ought to be able to charge and make an acceptable profit. Now, you'd find some hospitals that were less than that and some that were two or maybe even three times that cost. So what they did is they posted, here's our reference price, and the employers began to take that and say to their employees, we're going to pay you $40,000 for this particular procedure. If you go to a hospital that charges more than that, you got to pay the difference. But this becomes the reference price. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we will give you the price charged by all of these different alternative organizations, different alternative hospitals. Um, and that makes sense because then if, if I'm shopping around that way, then the healthcare providers are going to say, "Whoa, we can't we can't charge eighty thousand when the reference price is forty thousand. So does that exactly what then happened. lower the price? That's exactly what happened. So that's that's the result of price transparency. I think what will happen is employers will say, "This is a very here's a high quality hospital that charges a reasonable price for this very expensive procedure, and that'll become our reference price. That's what we'll pay." And with prices uh, being posted or prime being, being transparent, if employees want to go to a more expensive facility, they got to pay the difference. The fact of the matter is most patients rely on their physicians, on their primary care physicians to direct them whenever they need care. But the fact is most doctors have no idea what relative prices are among other providers. They, right. they send them to people they know they have no idea what the charges are right well that brings us into something uh interesting that uh you brought up in your blog about the two kind of competing ways of trying to bring down healthcare costs uh the first one if people are uh following politics at all mm -hmm. would be one that the democrats uh probably most favor and that's a uh, a Medicare for all type of approach. Mm -hmm. 
And then uh, one which the Republicans probably uh, favor more would be the market competition approach where price and uh, something we haven't talked about yet, quality uh, transparency uh, is, is more you know, put out there for, for competition purposes. Um, let's first talk about quality for a second, because we've been talking about price. But just like your analogy, you were saying, you know, if I go to Lowe's and I look at a washing machine and then I go to, to Home Depot, the price is big. But then also we're always talking about quality. How long is this going to last me? How, how good is this brand? How does quality play a part in, uh, in this discussion we're having? Well, quality is very, very difficult to measure. Right. Uh, the reason is because uh, medical care is probably only responsible for 20 to 30% of your overall health. The rest of it is determined by personal choices, that is obesity, smoking, chemical dependency, all those things. All the fun and stuff. Social factors, I mean, socioeconomic factors, education, access to transportation, food security, all these things. So the fact is medical care is only a minor determinant of, of, of your overall health and consequently the overall outcome of a difficult procedure. Also, does the patient follow up? Once you have a, a, a complex procedure or if you've got a chronic disease, you have two patients, one that takes their medication and very consciously mo monitors their their uh, their symptoms and another patient who's indifferent mm -hmm. well, how do you how do you ascribe the ultimate outcome if you ever know it to a particular provider you can't right so what we do instead of looking at outcomes which is what you look at with your washing machine mm -hmm. what we look at in 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 healthcare is processes did you do this process correctly did you ask the patient if they smoked did you uh, insist on a mammogram for a, a woman over 50? Did you, did you follow these guiding principles or processes? Well, processes are not outcomes, but it's about all we got. Yeah. Once, so you've got to keep that in mind. It's very difficult to measure quality. And certainly it's extremely hard to, me to, to, to uh, uh, measure quality between two institutions. Now, they may have different, different mortality rates for a particular operation, or uh, they may have different complication rates or what we call hospital-acquired infection rates. But, you know, truthfully, the differences aren't that great among good hospitals. So being married to a, a primary care physician, mm -hmm. from that standpoint, from the, from the PCP, all of this stuff becomes a cumulative effect sure. that burns them out on wanting to practice medicine. Mm -hmm. And so that, that becomes uh, problematic as well. And so that, that makes sense that outcomes really aren't the best way of measuring quality from that standpoint. You know, you raised, you, you pointed out two different or two, if you will, alternative views. One is we're going to solve our problems by creating market competition through transparency and patient shopping and employer shopping. And over on the other side, we're going to we're going to we're going to have a public option. Now, Medicare for all doesn't fly. Anytime you say Medicare for all, it'll always get a thumbs down from the Republicans and and maybe get just a small majority of the total public. It's not a good expression. Public option, however, is a very, very is very popular. That's essentially the same thing. But by framing it as a public option, the suggestion is you have a choice. You can take the public plan, or you can take the uh, your own private insurance. Now, the way the there, there's there's several different flavors of a public option. I think there were eight, maybe nine different bills introduced in the last Congress each with a little bit different flavor of the public option. But there's certain common denominators to them all. One is all providers have to participate. If you participate in Medicare, you got to participate in the public option. Second, the government sets the prices. 
prices aren't negotiated, they're set by fiat. And that's, that's it. Now, the third one is the big one. And that is employers can choose the public option for the benefit of their employees. Well, think about that a second. They'll all do it. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it won't happen next week, but it'll happen over time. So that's, that is price control or be controlling prices. Price control is a dirty word. Controlling <laughs> prices by essentially by fiat. The government sets the prices, just like they do in Medicare. I mean, that's, as I said, that covers 30, a little bit more than 30% of the population. So, okay, yeah. extend that to everybody. Now, I think you I think you answered my question real quick, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, um, but I think you answered my question because I had always thought that Medicare for all was more of a single payer type of plan, whereas public option would just be a competing plan from government to explain to me why that's wrong. OK, the. The last thing the federal government wants to do is be the single payer, right? There's not enough money in the world for that right now. Think of the the deficits they're running. What they want to do is keep the payer, the employer. That's that just makes sense. Healthcare is 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 a huge part of the federal budget. They cannot possibly take on the burden of assuming the cost of all healthcare. They just can't do it. I said it's bigger than the gross domestic product of every but other country in the world, but two. So the way it would work is it would be equivalent to what we call Medicare Advantage, Medicare Part D. That is, you'd have an organization, maybe even a Blue Cross Blue Shield, which has a Medicare Advantage plan. Well, they would have what was called a public option plan. And the federal government would set the prices for that plan. And private employers would purchase that plan on behalf of their employees or individuals would be able to buy it in the marketplace. Which is really good for people who are like self-employed or the gig economy, those who don't receive yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So when you so, said 800,000 in the DFW area, we have over a million just calling County itself. So there's a lot of people out there who need something like this. Okay. Well, the public option, as I said, would be, would be essentially a mirror image of Medicare Advantage. Mm-hmm. Payer would still be the individual buying a policy or the employer on behalf of their population. Now, there's another feature that's all that's common to all these, and that is premium support and cost sharing. Those are two different things. We'll help you pay your premium if you're over X percent of the poverty level, and we will help you with your deductible and with your out-of-pocket if you're Y percent over the poverty level, okay? So there's, so it, it looks a lot like Medicare, but it's a, essentially it's a public plan. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that the percentage of people that, or the percentage of money that has to be put in by the person who, get, who receives the Medicare. Mm-hmm. My mom is actually from Israel, and, but she's dual, dual citizenship. And she was in America and something happened and she had to have surgery and she has Medicare in America. Mm-hmm. And she was floored. Well, of course, she pays every month. But when she went and had the procedure, then they, they gave her a bill. And she had to also pay a bill. And she was like, what? Had I known that, I would have just flown back to Israel. Because <laughs> Israel's plan is completely different. They take the money. And she does pay a bill, but she doesn't see the bill. The government pays the bill, and then they charge her. It was just, I mean, it's a different system. I know everyone throws out the word socialism. But it was just the most interesting conversation I had with my mom. I'm like, haven't you been paying into Medicare this whole time? She's like, well, yeah, but I didn't think they'd give me a bill for it. So she Medicare went to have surgery and got a bill. <laughs> for the person's income, do they? No. Okay, but the public plan option would. The public plan option would adjust both your premium and your out-of-pocket based upon your income, just exactly like Obamacare. So the public option uh, essentially is Medicare Advantage with, if you will, the Obamacare uh, subsidies. Was this the plan in the 70s that was created by the Heritage Foundation that Nixon wanted? Is this the what started back then or is it a little different? It's a little bit different. That okay. was that was really that was the origin of the HMO, the Health oh, okay. Organization. Um, the public option really began in in the early 2000s in California. It was introduced as a policy recommendation in California and a, and a kind of attempt by the state at that time. Well, of course, Republicans are going to like it. You put California next to it. There's just can't get away from that. <laughs> but it's um, 
you know, it's 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 not going to happen this year. There's too much on the on the congressional plate this year, but this is like a bad penny. It's going to keep coming back. My personal projection is it's going to happen sometime in this decade. Well, and you're an economist. Economically, isn't it better to have something like this overall, like long term, instead of what we're doing now, which is paying out? And I think you showed us a graph that that just showed the expenses were extremely high, but people weren't getting the medic they weren't getting medical care. And so we're paying for things, but we're not getting better Medicare or or medical care or going to more care. We're not getting more out of the money we're paying. Well, the you know the interesting fact is Americans don't consume more medical care than most other developed countries. We just pay right in the middle. In terms of the number of times we visit a physician every year, in terms of the number of doctors per thousand, in terms of virtually anything measure that you can think of, uh, we don't consume an excess amount of medical care. What is different here is the prices. Yeah, because when I look at my family that lives in Israel, they are required, you know, because it's not actually socialism, it's a mixed system because they do pay into it, but they're required to go to dentists, eye doctor, doctors on a regular basis to ensure pre-care so that they can catch anything before it gets too expensive. Whereas here, people don't necessarily do all the pre-care they need. Until all of a sudden they're so sick, now they're on tons of medication and they're having to get all these procedures. That's what I see. Is that? Well, I think you just hit the hit on a very, very important point, and that is societal differences. There's two big differences here between the United States and Europe. Mm -hmm. One is in Europe, death is a normal part of life. You don't see excessive spending. You don't see excessive spending uh, as people approach death. In this country, very significant percentage of, of your lifetime medical expenses will be in the last 18 months of life. That's not true anywhere else. Mm -hmm. I've done some studies along with some others of the pattern of spending through life compared to Europe. And the fact of the matter is that the spending patterns in this country are about the same until you get to about age 60, and then it really takes off. The second thing is that uh, this is not a command economy. People historically from our founding have been more suspicious of government than is characteristic of, of Europe. And take a look at the mask mandates. They didn't meet anywhere near the resistance in other countries as it did in the United States. That's just a characteristic of the American public. So do you think that if a Republican-led majority came out and said, listen, long-term, the costs are so much better and the medical care will remain the same, there will not be a shift downward, because I hear that a lot, public option is the best way to go so that all of our small businesses won't have to incur the cost because that's you hear that a lot from the Republicans that when you have government requiring medical insurance for their employees, then small businesses take a hit. But if you have a public option, then small businesses won't take that hit. Remember, right? with the remember with the public option, the government sets the price. Right now, this is this is anathema to free market to free market people. If 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 you are let's call it a Republican, if you want to call it that. The Republicans embrace free market solutions, don't they? They well, always have. That's a characteristic of, of a conservative approach. Right. That is, the market is capable of managing prices and bringing down prices if you let the market work, if you take the barriers out. To go and say the way to control prices for probably the most important product or service in the economy is to fix the prices by fiat means giving up a very, um, means essentially surrendering an important belief that has motivated you as a conservative. So it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's a value judgment, isn't it? Is the way to control prices have a third party set them or is the way to bring down prices through competition? Right. And, and you know, this analogy is going to break down like right away, but you know, I, I hear people saying, you know, it worked for the the electronics industry, the computer industry, right? If you 
if you open it up to competition, you get, you get, you know, better products that are better quality, all of these things. Right. And then they say, well, this, why can't this work for healthcare? I'm sure that there is a mountain of difference between the electronics industry and healthcare, but that basic premise, what, why, why would the Republicans be wrong in that sense? Well, I, I won't say they're wrong, but if you want to buy a piece of electronic equipment, you can go onto the internet or in a catalog and you can find competitive pricing for that exact same piece of equipment. Right. You can't even begin to do that in healthcare. Okay, so that's clearly a barrier. Clearly. But, well, but that's if we one, were but I'd open. say it's social barrier too. I'm going back to uh, what John was saying about the social issues. I talk to my students all the time. They won't stand an hour in line to vote but they'll stand in line six hours for the new iPhone. All right, yeah. that's right. important. They've done right. their research and they know the new iPhone is way better and they wanna be the first one to have it. But voting, that, well, if they don't get involved, it's, it's no big deal. So it's, it's, just, it's what your society pushes as important. I also would argue that um, most people, so I, I've had a couple of kids and um, had to go give birth. And I did my research and I was very detailed about what the cost out of pocket would be based on what my employer was going to cover and what I would have to cover personally. And people thought I was crazy. They're like, why are you worried about that? Just go to the hospital, have the baby, everything's gonna be fine. Well, no, that's not how it works because out of pocket expenses for having kids is in my opinion, pretty significant, especially because I had twins and they were supposed to, um, they came early one was going to have major problems. I mean, I was quoted so many costs that I was going to have to have out of pocket. So I was really conscious about everything that was going on. But when you talk to other people, they're like, no, I should go to the hospital and I'll get taken care of. It'll be fixed. And nobody really thinks about it because the employer made the deal for me. So I'm sure the employer made a good deal for me. I, I don't know. I'm one of those people who actually does the research. The, there is, the research shows that less than 15% of the people price shop. Yeah, it's insane. only about a third of them actually compare prices between providers. And the reason is is pretty straightforward. No matter it's what you spend, you're going to hit your deductible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the right. fact of the matter is you're going to hit that deductible. It, you don't care what the cost is above that. Right. Somebody else right. is paying it. Right. So uh, that's one of the reasons why people don't price shop. Also, you just pointed out something very important. If you go to Baylor, and say, what's it cost to have my twins? Or go to THR, and what's it gonna to cost to have my twins? They're quoting you different prices because they have different bundles of services. Yeah. And you don't have any idea what the differences between those bundles are. Or my doctor doesn't go to the less expensive one and I don't have an option because I've been going to this doctor for nine months and That's had right. no idea that when I was about to have a baby, I didn't have a choice. You rely on your doctor and your doctor doesn't have the foggiest idea of what, what the prices are. Then it's one of the social issue. <laughs> barriers. Now, the question is, can those barriers really become overcome? Can they? Well, that's a very good question. Right. It's, it Can one of the solutions, and I hate putting more stuff on doctors, but can one of the solutions be, since I'm married to one, <laughs> can one of the solutions be that doctors educate the patient in shopping around and things like that. I mean, you know, for instance, I had to get an MRI on my, on my wrist. My wife told me go down to, you know, the strip mall where they have an MRI machine. It, it didn't cost very much money. You know, it probably didn't even cost $500, but if I had gone to the ER and done it, just like you pointed out earlier, John, um, it would have probably cost me $5,000. Right. I mean, I, I'm very lucky. I have somebody who's very knowledgeable at that and can tell me to keep costs down. But is, is that one of the solutions? No, uh, Stephanie is a physician leader. Yeah, true. And there are very few of those around. Right. The fact is, I've, I've 25 years run a graduate business program for physicians, but it, its appeal is only to that very small cadre of doctors that really wants leadership role responsibility. Most physicians simply want to practice good clinical medicine and be left alone. Mm -hmm. they, it's, they don't view it as their business to help their patients price shop. They view it as their business 
to focus on the whatever the patient presentation is on the patient uh, injury or the patient disease and try to cure it in the best way they possibly can. Now, outside I of that is outside of their wheelhouse. But that is so um, we had to put uh, tubes in the kids and we fought it and didn't do it for one of uh, my seven year old. But then the twins, they were just bad. So we did it the first time around. We talked, spoke to the doctor the whole time and he set it all up. We paid for it. We went, well, one kid, his tubes fell out and he needs another set. And um, I've been dealing with the assistant, uh, the nurse practitioner, I, ENT, I don't know, are they still called nurse practitioners? They're called. Oh, there we go. And she, and we've been talking to her for the last year and she's been watching it. And she said, no, we need to put another set in. And she it told me you need to price check. And she started talking to me about the different pricing for everything. And I thought that was really interesting. The difference between the doctor who was like, yeah, he needs it done. Let's get it done. He scheduled it and moved on. And then um, the practitioner, she was like, well, I mean, you know, we have a little bit of time. You need to check the pricing. And she went into it. So I'm wondering if it's, I'm not saying that it's a fault of the doctors, but Maybe we do have like the midwives and the ENT or the nurse ENT. practitioners who are interested more in that type of leadership. I don't know. I'll tell you, personally, I always prefer going to a nurse practitioner than a doctor. Oh, yeah. Always. They spend way more time with you, too. Because they spend more time with you and they do the same thing every day. So they're darn good at it. Yep. The physician assistants and the and the NPs are that's that's always my preference. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. But that's not essentially, once again, taking, uh, taking cognizant of the patient's financial situation as well as their social situation is not something that doctors really do. You know, you've got two patients with both with diabetes. One comes from a wealthy section of North Dallas. One comes from a poorer section of South Dallas. They're going to have different outcomes. Is the physician going to really try to help that poorer patient get move into better social circumstances, you know, get access to the food bank, better access to transportation, to housing? No, that's not what they're, they, they can't do that. They don't have time to do that. I'm not being critical of physicians. They, they cannot step into the position of a social safety net. Right. It's absolutely necessary. But it's not really the, 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 the it's in the, not in the wheelhouse of a, of a medical doctor. And I think it's interesting. You don't, it's not the doctor's job. It really isn't. And it's not, um, the patient doesn't seem to, you said 15% of the patients are going to shop. So we're leaving it up to employers who are just trying to care for their own bottom line. <laughs> I'm back to the public option issue. <laughs> like, I think if you do, I mean, if you get the government involved and you're letting them set the price, yes, the government's too involved. Now we can talk about constitutionality. That's my area. But um, theoretically, long term, that will help the lower income people. I think long term, it'll, it'll help the GDP. I mean, it'll help the cost, the extensive spending that we have. Um, isn't that to benefit everyone in the end anyway? I mean, well, remember this. Um, a lot of times you measure a proposed policy based upon your values, not necessarily based upon what the potential outcome is. Right. In order to say that we're going to have the government set the price of the most important service provided in this country is to surrender your value, if you your values, if you're a conservative, if you embrace and believe in uh, price competition and free markets. So I'm not taking a position one way or the other. All I'm trying to do is see reality as it is. See reality clearly. What motivates people? Why do they do what they do? Why do they believe what they believe? What are they going to do based upon their values? That's what I'm getting at right here. So I'm not, you, you got to recognize that if you take the Republican caucus and say to them, based upon the benefit to the poorer people, the government really needs to set the price, you're asking them to surrender an essential value that they have. The price competition is be- it lifts all boats. It's better for the, better for the country. Uh, and what we need to do, they'll say, is to get the barriers out of the way. You can decide which camp you're in, but you got to, you got to re- recognize why people take the position they do. Right. Well, and I can recognize why leaders take the position they do. Dealing with students on a daily basis, sometimes I wonder if they're if they really understand what the outcome is. Because I have a lot of friends who are um, self-employed, a lot mm-hmm. of students who are in the gig economy, 
a lot of people who just don't have access to insurance. And they really consider the Affordable Care Act having ruined their ability to pay for health care because of the cost, excessive costs and whatnot. And but they want health care. Right. So when you try to explain to them, well, there are other options. This is an option. Of course, they talk about freedom and whatnot. And I'm like, well, OK, can't have both. You can either have the insurance or the freedom, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Ben, ben likes his example. His competition, you can't have competition unless we know how much it costs, Ben. That's, that's just, right. That's you know, I tell, I tell my students, is it's all we ever talk about in our classes, all we're ever talking about in politics is the, is the competition between government power and individual liberty. I mean, that's, I mean, this is a perfect example of that. What yep. should government do when it comes to health insurance and how much liberty should we have? Are we too dumb? to understand it and should well that's why i always wonder is it a right or is it a privilege because yeah. if healthcare is a right then the government needs to make it available to everyone right if that's what i understand a couple of points here sure <laughs> you're the expert please no there are no i'm gonna make an observation about what how, how people really act we don't have leaders in in washington those people have both ears to the ground and 10 moist fingers in the air Feeling the prevailing winds of public opinion. The followers. You come to my leadership class. I talk about that all the time. <laughs> they should be followers, though, but they oh, should they, be following. I don't them. worry about the way the world should be. Take it as it is. <laughs> Secondly, you and I are dealing with a non-random sample of the population. Yeah. It's a select group with a particular set of values and backgrounds. It's not a sample of the population at large. Washington politicians are never going to take a position on right or privilege uh, without necessarily having the support of their constituents. They are a reflection of public attitudes and behaviors, not a not a leader of it. Yeah. Yep. So this remember this this country was founded on the individualist. I mean, government. Our government was invented. It has no history prior to. 1776. It was invented. It came whole cloth out of the ground. And there were certain principles on which it was founded and which have motivated uh, public behavior in this country for the last 300 years or 200 years. And those are very different from the way they are in Europe. Mm -hmm. And, and, I, and it's, it's really important to understand that the differences of opinion really derived from a difference in values of the people espousing them, not necessarily based upon whether or not the ultimate outcome can be right. you know, said to be favorable or unfavorable. I could make, a, I could make a, a, a very cogent argument that the government setting prices could essentially destroy the healthcare system. I could make an equally cogent argument that it could save the healthcare system. You don't know. Right. And and one can argue that our different set of values and beliefs in America has been very beneficial for us vis-a-vis -vis Europe. And then one can also make the argument that in some ways it is not beneficial for us. I think healthcare might be one of those areas. Yeah. Well, you argue that, that we need um, we need competition. We need competition to bring the prices down. But isn't there um, a really big consolidation of all the healthcare to just a few different companies? That's one of the reasons, in my opinion, why prices have been growing so rapidly. Yes, yeah, healthcare healthcare has consolidated very rapidly in the last twenty five years. It began with the plans, with the managed care plans. When I was on a hospital board back in the late 1980s, we had here in Dallas, we had 57 different payers, 57 of them. Be nice. Today, you got a handful. Mm -hmm. The consolidation and managed care started. The hospitals about seven to 10 years later picked up on that and realized that they were getting uh, essentially uh, disenfranchised by these consolidating, by the negotiating power of the consolidating managed care industry. So they started consolidating. Mm -hmm. The last to the party have been the doctors. Right. The doctors have begun to realize that, you know, we're the we're the tail on the dog here. Mm -hmm. And they are beginning now to consolidate and roll up into these larger practice groups or be taken out with private equity. So, yes, there's a great consolidation. 
And there's a lot of research that shows that it hasn't materially benefited quality. What it's done is drive up price. Now, why is that continued? For first off, remember, the hospital is probably the largest employer in many congressional districts. True. So they've got some muscle. And it still isn't. This is a Republican form of government with a small R. Uh, so you, you got to take that into account to explain why it's happening. I'll give you an, an opinion here. Uh, as a, you mentioned I'm an economist, but I spent several years on Wall Street. And I've got a finance background. And I look at the financial markets and have essentially traded the financial markets for 40 years. Um, I believe we're coming into the end of the long-term debt super cycle. There's been about three of them. This is a 50 to 60 year long-term debt cycle that this country has, has had. Uh, there's been three major debt cycles, if you will, debt cycle resolutions. The current one, the buildup in public debt started really post-World War II. Uh, and for the last several years, the United States, as well as most of the developed world, has essentially gone on a debt spree. We're right now today in the United States, arguably between 380, 360, 380% of, G, of gross domestic product is represented by government debt and, and uh, corporate debt, government and non-financial corporate. Now that's, that's true in the rest of the world as well. Eventually that's gonna resolve because it's created tremendous dislocations in the financial markets. You and I know the, the, the dislocations that are in the financial markets, the mispricing of risk that's, that's been occasioned by the Federal Reserve policy of zero interest rates. Um, that, that's evident. Eventually, that's going to that's gonna resolve. When it does, healthcare being one of the biggest components of government spending is going to be in the bullseye. Mm-hmm. When essentially we have what John Malden calls the Great Reset, sometime in the next 10 years. Um, healthcare is going to be one of the first uh, industries impacted simply because it is so what I call asset heavy. It's, it's debt heavy, fixed asset heavy. It's, the, it's uh, the biggest government expenditure behind social security. So it's gonna be impacted. How, who knows? But all this stuff is gonna wash through, I think, in a very short period of time. When? Who knows? But uh, I think it's going to be precipitous. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so then my question is, do I take my money out of healthcare blue chips or do I put more money in? <laughs> Depends on your time frame. <laughs> I've got to get those tips, right? <laughs> always, always. One other characteristic of healthcare it's important to understand is healthcare is a warren of vested interests, each seeking to protect its interest and fearful that any change is gonna disadvantage it relative to the others. Mm -hmm. Doctors relative to hospitals, hospitals relative to managed care payers, medical subspecialists relative to proceduralists, you name it. Right. So it's all of these vested interests that have tried to maintain stasis, that is try to resist change from all these different outside pressure, social and economic, to which it's been subjected. Uh, eventually, uh, it won't be able to do that. Uh, there comes a time when the pressures just get too great, whether precipitated by a financial, uh, another financial reset or financial crisis, whether precipitated by uh, a congressional action, by something. Uh, as you know, great social change generally comes about because of some, something right out of left field. Some, some event, something that is unrelated, you know, the, the, the assassination of an archduke in Austria mm-hmm. can precipitate great social change and great social upheaval. Well, healthcare is this big, expensive, unstable industry um, of which 20 to 30%, as I said, is waste. It's a huge number. It's very expensive. It doesn't have a high level of at least cost or price satisfaction among the American public. So it's got to be a target. John, thank you so much. Appreciate uh, it. Uh, we won't take up any more you. of your time. But okay. You just got a new listener. Thanks. I just, I'm going to download your podcast. Yeah, same here. Same here. Right. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.
great. That gives me so much more understanding of the healthcare system. I teach this, but the perspective he gave the, I mean, just the fact that 80% of what we do is we're responsible for our healthcare, about 80% right. of what we do is responsible for how we feel like. It's how our we own eat. behavior. Yes, our, own, it's our behavior. own behavior. All right. Well, that was a great conversation. And awesome. uh, I think uh, we should do it again soon. Sounds great. We'll see you next time. And if you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button so that you will be notified when we drop our next episode. And if you have time, leave a five-star review. We would really appreciate that so we can get out the word of the podcast. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. husband took care of that with a will he said i should spend every dying cent to keep him alive <laughs> i'm not allowed to get anything if he gets on yeah. he's got it in the will doesn't matter how much it costs me he stays alive so he took that out of my hands